Today, we continue looking at the essential church, or the minimal church, or maybe just church. Welcome to Run With Horses. My name is Norman, and my goal is to help you thrive as a follower of Jesus. The spiritual life is both incredibly simple and potentially the most difficult part of your life. God invites you to live intentionally and on His mission. It's very cool that we can do that together. Well, I started last week by asking the question, what is the church? Specifically, I wanted to look at the idea of minimal or essential ecclesiology. So a quick review just to make sure we're all using the same words or using the same words in the same way. Minimal being the least viable form or the least possible to call something a church. So one way to think about this would be what can you remove from your existing church and it still be a church? And we probably will come back to this idea in the future and begin to take some things away. So it's pretty easy to to say, well, we could not have pews and it still be a church. Um, we could not have a stage of some kind and it still be a church. We could probably not have a steeple. And, okay, what can we take away and still consol- consider it a church? And really, you know, you know my bias already. I'm we don't need any of those physical things, but what are the essential things? Which That's the next word. Essential. If you have nothing else, you must have at least this to call it a church. So what are those things? And we'll come at it from both sides probably eventually, taking what we have and saying what can we take away and not really reduce the effectiveness or the the ability for the church to carry out its purpose, but also starting with nothing and what do we have to have. We'll look at both sides, thinking about our ecclesiology or the doctrine relating to the church, asking the question, what is the church? We'll look more at the purpose of the church and some of those things down the road as well, and even some today. Well, the goal is to consider the smallest, most adaptable, most flexible church, definition of church, idea of church. Why is that? Well, I'm really interested in new churches. We need desperately new churches all around the world. I've been in Japan for 20 years. We need new churches. I'm in Wisconsin now. We need new churches. Uh, The church is intended to be multiplied, to reproduce in any and every environment, in any and every context around the world. The maximum form of the church, if the church is everything that it can be with all the bells and whistles, that's a hard version of the church, expression of the church to reproduce. So my contention is that the that least viable form is the most reproducible and is the most likely to adjust and adapt to its context quickly and much better than that fuller expression that works in one context that might not work in another one. So if church planning is really important, we're really going to do it, I think we need to identify that that seed, that core definition of what the church is, what it does. And we don't start with the finished product. You don't start with the finished product in gardening. You don't start with it in church planting. What do you start with? Well, I think this idea of the seed is a good one. A seed contains the DNA of the future life at maturity. What is the DNA. That, that's probably a parallel question and maybe even the same question when we ask what is the minimal uh, expression of the church. Well, what is the church's DNA is probably 
along the same lines. Okay, I have a lot of references today, and really, today is kind of an information dump. I have a lot of stuff that I've looked up and thinking about and drew information from different places. We want to look at what, how the church has been defined and viewed uh, in the past. So some of this I'm going to review from last time. The Gospel Coalition um, had a, a blog article by Kevin DeYoung, and he was saying, not really happy with this idea of just church as a plural for Christian, where, where two or three are gathered together, says, I am with you. Jesus says that. Is that the same thing as it being a church? Well, he said no, and I guess I would agree no, that the church has to meet together for an express purpose. Just because two Christians meet together doesn't mean they meet for the purpose of being the church and doing the work of the church. So uh, they, they're not necessarily covenanted together, and I would say that's an important idea. So he goes on and says, whatever the definition is, it is the people of God, but it's for God's people to be a church, they must function in a certain way, have an intention to function in a certain way. And I think that's a good start to our, our thinking about this. And a couple of different groups uh, really are focused on microchurch. And they're kind of playing in the same ballpark that I am as I'm thinking through this. How do we have a very reprodu- reproducible church that is capable of making a difference in all of these different places in society and subcultures and geographic areas. And they've come to three things, worship, mission, and community. And uh, those three things carried out in small missional groups, they would say that that's the most essential unit of the church, these small missional groups. And the idea of mission is, is key for them. So they look at the early church in Acts and say it embodied these three irreducible functions, worship, community, and mission, and gave great freedom for people and groups to express them in their own context. The kind of basic definition summary from the Tampa Underground is we affirm microchurch as the most basic expression of the church. Our ecclesiology is simple. When believers work together in sincere worship and genuine community to accomplish part of the mission of God, they are the church. Okay, so that's very short, easy, worship, community, mission, they're the church. They have to get together to do that. That's their ecclesial minimal for a lot of microchurches. There's another uh, site called Saturate the World, and from 2021, they had marks of essential ecclesiology. They go through several things. The church is comprised of believers who gather regularly for discipleship. I can start off. I I really like that because that's, I, I think that's the New Testament's goal is for each one of us to be disciples of Jesus. So they go on and said, a church's goal must be discipleship, seeing people come to know Jesus and be increasingly formed into his likeness and love one another. Our into his likeness and love together. So you have that idea of together, discipleship, becoming like him. Uh, That's definitely, however else I come down on this, I know that that has to be a big part of my understanding of the church. We are to be disciples. Uh, We are to be 
pursuing Christ and pursuing Christ likeness ourselves. So already I like the way they're going. Their second point is that a church declares the gospel and is shaped by the spirit and the scriptures. So the good news, Jesus' life, death, resurrection, kingdom and return is the church's central message and must be proclaimed both in gatherings and in everyday life. And again, I I like the way that this is shaping up because the gospel is central and the church, it says, is shaped by the Spirit and the Scripture. So we have God's Word, which gives us instructions and gives us a picture of what the church looks like, what the church is, what the church does, who it, who its members are. We have a picture of the early church and how it functioned uh, after Jesus gave His instruction to the apostles and as they taught it. So we have all this which should shape how we understand ourselves as the church. And the good news is that central message, salvation, reconciliation, um, that message of redemption has to be central. And, and again, I like the way they put that in there. It must be proclaimed both in the gathering, so I'm assuming they mean that the church, and in everyday life. And this is, uh, I think, key. We really want every person to be a missionary, to be carrying this good news into their family, into their workplace, into their community. This is a central message. And when we're together, we focus on that. We rejoice in that. We praise God because of that. And then we are His ambassadors as we carry it out into the world. So this is a good start to thinking about uh, the church as disciples who are declaring the gospel everywhere they go. Their next point is a church worships God, and they say in various ways. So a church helps people understand and participate in worship. Uh, The Bible describes song and prayer as worship, as well as using our spiritual gifts, serving others, sharing the gospel, giving, celebrating, working hard, resting, and obeying God. Almost everything in life can be worship if in spirit and truth. Uh, The one thing they're missing in there that uh, I think is actually central to the idea of worship is humility. Uh, Worship is to bow oneself down before God, and I think that's a key key truth there, but definitely worship is uh, an aspect of the church's life together. They go on to say a church serves each other and its mission fields. So each Christian has gifts, stations in life, and resources which God uses to bless Christians and non-Christians. Okay, got the mission there. A church carries out baptism and communion, so the ordinances. Um, so it's, <laughs> okay, so they talking about a broad audience and say, well, different churches add other acts to these, but we would say the ordinances, uh, believers' baptism and communion, and uh, church follows Jesus' example and carries out baptism and communion regularly. A church defines and trains God-given human leaders. Jesus is the head of his church in the New Testament, shows us churches led by teams of biblically qualified servants who humbly equip the saints for the work of ministry. Okay, I like that. Um, other definitions as we go forward, we'll see they clarify uh, biblically qualified servants as uh, pastors and deacons or elders. I don't think any of the resources that I use use another term. So pastors, uh, elders, or deacons. And it's important, at least in the working of the church, that those those servants, those leaders are equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, not trying to do all of the work of the ministry themselves. And that's often a separate issue, which we may come back to in the future. 
Okay, another um, place I found was called ruralministry.net. They're talking about, there's an article called Ecclesiology in the Rural Church. And this guy says that there's kind of universal agreement that theologically the church is the community of all true believers for all time. Um, But there's far less agreement regarding the practical view and the definition of the church, meaning how we perceive and understand the word church when it is mentioned. When we talk about the church in common life, what do we mean? And he explains, you know, for some people, the term church becomes synonymous with the local organization. Uh, The church is a building which we attend at a specific location at a certain time. As a physical building and organization, the church then becomes defined by its organizational structure, its programs, and a shared vision that moves the church organizationally. So that, and I would say organization is a good word, but institution (laughs) comes to mind as a kind of a negative spin on that. I think this is true. We do get to the point where very quickly we're thinking about the church, which is supposed to be this body of believers, as a place we go. We go to church. Um, We're members, but we're kind of tied to this building and its programs, and we're members of this church's organizational structure, and that becomes maybe more important than the biblical mandate to be disciple-makers. And we don't understand that we are the church. So this is a big part of why I'm going through this myself. So how do we understand the church? Because, okay, my question is, we need more churches, right? What exactly is it that we need more of? Do we need more physical buildings with programs and this organized um, institution? Is that what we need more of? Are there certain programs that we just desperately need in the world today that we don't have? I'm not sure that's my understanding of the church that we need to reproduce. And our understanding of the church will greatly impact our place in it individually and what we do, and that's both individually and as a church body. So we have to have a a clear understanding of what the church is. And as I'm thinking through it and even asking some questions, when I ask the idea of, you know, what is that essential church? There are these pat answers. You know, the church is, you know, all the baptized believers, and we'll, we'll come down to some of those, those answers in a minute, but what does that look like, and is that different than what we're doing? And there's, there is kind of a struggle to see that essential church in what we're doing. And I come, kind of come away feeling like, we have these programs and organization and buildings, and I wonder sometimes if we're actually, it's, it's not actually fulfilling the, the purpose of the church. We're not really a church, even though we have all these things, and we have the sign out front. All right, I went to the uh, library and borrowed a stack of books from my pastor friend. And looking through these books, they're quite a few different either definitions or uh, statements that I think are valuable to look through here. One book was titled, Christ Loved the Church. It's by William MacDonald. And rather than defining the church, 
he said there are several fundamental truths that the church must portray to the world. And that's really the goal is this body, it is an organic body that is, uh, there are some, some things it has to have. You know, it's, it's not people who deny Jesus are not part of this body. So uh, there are some clear things that are have to have, but it's these fundamental truths. It's that the church lives these out, and that's what's important. And here are a few of them. One, there is one body. So every church, local or in other locations, we're still part of one body. And I think that's something that's missing in a lot of the definitions that you see. We have our local church, and we might acknowledge our denomination, but we're not quite as willing to acknowledge the other ones in our local context. So there is one body. Christ is head of the body. <laughs> that's, that's huge. Uh, there's one body. Christ is head of it. And the third one, all believers are members of the body. And see, we're not still talking about a local expression of the church. We're saying that all believers are members of this body of which Christ is the head. And there's only one of those. So our local church, how does it fit into that? What is its role in regard to this larger body of believers. The fourth one, the Holy Spirit is the representative of Christ in the church. And he goes into more detail. I'm not going to go into today, but how that works out as Christ, as the Holy Spirit um, helps us to understand God's Word, as we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading, and He directs us to, to use our gifts in the building up of the church uh, and in ministry outside the church. So the Holy Spirit is the representative of Christ is the way that He words that. Uh, the next, the church is holy. Uh, it's supposed to be holy as He is holy. Gifts are give, given for the edification of the church. And all believers are priests of God is the last one. So gifts are given for the edification of the church. I think that's number six. And all believers are priests of God is number seven. How does the church portray this to the world? Okay, that's a good question if you think about our gifts are given for the edification of the church. Um, what does that look like, and how do we do that? Uh, all believers are priests of God, and I sometimes think we have that in our church covenants or our doctrinal statements, the priesthood of the believer, at least if you're Baptist. But how is that practically worked out? Because I've been in churches where I know that that's part of their stated beliefs, but then they would turn around and tell a, a ladies' Bible study that you can't understand God's Word. The pastor has to explain it to you. Um, those two things don't seem to fit very well together, if you ask me. So, an interesting way of looking at the church, that the church is to portray the truths that God ex uh, gives us in the New Testament to the world, and it's less about maybe some uh, a definition. The next uh, book that I wanted to draw from is called Rediscover Church, Why the Body of Christ is Essential. It's by Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman. And I haven't uh, finished reading this one. This is actually a book that, that I came across and bought and thought it looked interesting. So I skimmed ahead to find out their definition of church to use for today. But they said a church is a group of Christians who assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom to proclaim the good news and commands of Christ the King, to affirm one another as His citizens through the ordinances, and to display God's own holiness and love 
through a unified and diverse people in all the world, following the teaching and example of elders. Okay, so there's a lot in there, and I think that's all one sentence, so I'll read it again. A church is a group of Christians who assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom to proclaim the good news and commands of Christ the King, to affirm one another as His citizens through the ordinances, and to display God's own holiness and love through a unified and diverse people in all the world, following the teaching and example of elders. Okay, here... Like almost every definition you're going to find, it's going to say something about a group or a gathering of Christians. Now, this definition does not include baptized. It just says Christians. So my guess is somewhere else he would have a definition of what a group of Christian is. Otherwise, this is uh, would be less meaningful if you if you don't know what a Christian is. So, but assuming that he means by Christian. Uh, people who profess faith in Jesus Christ and who are baptized believers will go on from there and say these Christians assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom. And I like that. I've never seen that in a definition before, although it fits very well with Paul's statement that we are ambassadors for Christ and ambassadors are based out of an embassy. So you can see that the church would be an embassy (laughs) where the ambassadors... uh, are getting the message from the leaders and taking it out to the world. So that's really a good uh, image of the church I haven't thought about. An earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom to proclaim the good news and commands of Christ the King. This one includes not just the gospel, but the commands of Christ, to live out the commands of Christ. That's a good a good thing to have in there too. To affirm one another as his citizens through the ordinances. This is an interesting way of, of thinking about baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's affirming one another as his citizens. So it is something that we do as uh, members of his his body uh, that we do to uh, point back to him. It's interesting thinking about that as affirming one another. Uh, to display God's own holiness and love. And that is definitely one of the the things that we're doing, very much tied in with the good news. We are to live this life in front of the world that causes them to pause and see something different. And it, it should be God in us. Our love should stand out. Um, and it, if we are a unified and diverse people, as he says in this definition, that definitely is going to stand out because right now, particularly in the world, unity is not really a thing. We have lots of disunity and argument and division, but uh, unity in a group of very diverse people really stands out. And this group, he ends the definition by saying that they follow the teaching and example of elders. So he doesn't use the term a pastor or deacons. I'm assuming maybe he lumps all that together under elders or clarifies later in the book. But for now, following the teaching and example of elders. So that's not a bad uh, definition. It includes um, a lot of really good things in there. But what I want you to notice as we look at these definitions, there's no program mentioned. There's no building. There's no time and place. uh, There's no... um, choir, (laughs) no piano. So when we look at this definition, 
and I think it includes the essentials. But when I look at that, and then I look at a lot of local churches, there are some things here that I, I'm thinking maybe they are not so clear. They have a building, they have programs, they have all these other things that are not mentioned, but I don't think they see themselves as clearly as an embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom. So to display God's holiness and love through unity, and more unity is something that seems to be a struggle in our churches. So if we're not unified around the gospel, around Christ, and following uh, His commands, then I think there's a a legitimate question about our (laughs) health, at least as a church. We can't be super healthy uh, without pursuing a definition like this. And again, it's not a program or a time and place or a building, so we need to consider how do we do this? What does this look like in our context? Who we are and where we are and what we're doing. And that's a big reason for, you know, all of these uh, questions that I have. We, we want to recognize the church as something that is meaningful, impactful in our society, that is fulfilling its purpose in the world today, the purpose that Jesus left it for. So one more before we take a break. Um, a book called The Doctrine and, and Administration of the Church. The Doctrine and Administration of the Church by Paul R. Jackson. I have had a copy of this personally for years and years. I think some Bible college and seminaries use it. It has a short, succinct definition that is very similar to the last one. A local church is a body of believers immersed upon a credible confession of faith in Jesus Christ, having two officers, pastors and deacons, sovereign in polity, banded together for work, worship, the observance of the ordinances, and the worldwide proclamation of the gospel. There's a few new things in there. He did say immersed believers and a confession of faith in Jesus Christ so that uh, confession, a credible confession of faith. Mentioned clearly the two offices. Sovereign in polity. This is one that I don't think we've mentioned yet. And then banded together for work. And the definition doesn't tell us what that work is, but we do know that the New Testament tells us that we were created for good works. Um, so that's that's clearly uh, something that's in the New Testament. Worship, we've already mentioned that. The observance of the ordinances. Most definitions include something along that, and the worldwide proclamation of the gospel. So this is, an, again, it's it adds a little bit to some of the other ones, but there's a lot of overlap. He doesn't mention disciples or discipleship or disciple-making, and usually, I think in churches like this that would use a, a definition like this, they'd include that under the worldwide proclamation of the gospel, where I would say the opposite. Proclamation of the gospel is part of making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why disciple-making has to be a central tenet. The best people to proclaim the gospel are disciple-makers, and they're the ones who are pursuing Christ themselves. So we're going to take a quick break and come back and continue to think about what is this minimal definition of the church, and what does it look like in my community, in my neighborhood today, and what is my part in it. So we'll be right back. 
Welcome back. We're still looking at different definitions of the church, looking for a minimal definition that we can use as a basis for seeing new churches started, for seeing churches that are quickly able to establish themselves in different areas and different subcultures around the world and here in the States. (laughs) Well, the next definition we're going to look at comes from a book called Doctrine of the Church by Dr. Harold L. Wilmington. He has one new thing for sure in here. He says, geographical groups, the church's geographical groups of baptized believers who regularly assemble, led by pastors and deacons, for the purpose of worship, instruction, fellowship, and evangelism. And that first word is the one that I'm pretty sure we haven't included that yet, but it is the idea of a local church. It's geographical groups, and he clearly states that. And then worship, instruction, fellowship, and evangelism, he gives us the purposes, the purpose of the church, pastor and deacons, regularly assembled, baptized believers. It's a fairly straightforward definition of the church. And I... I agree with this definition of the church where I struggle with, and I guess maybe it's not even struggle, but the question I'm asking is, does that always have to look like the same thing? Or why does that look like the same thing in every town in the West, at least? Most of the time, it looks very, very similar down to the... uh, building structure, time and place, the format of services. It seems like uh, there's not a lot of variety. (laughs) And one of the things that I feel like is a, a key characteristic of God is that he is creative. He is creative. And why do we not see that in how his church carries out its purpose in what the church looks like? And I don't know, but maybe we'll... Think more about that later. The next book is Practical Christian Theology by Floyd H. Barrickman. And his is a little more structured. This is a a theology book, clearly, that Bible colleges use in teaching doctrine. In the section on ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, this is his kind of a longer definition, which definitely includes a lot more things, at least in a little more detail. So a local Christian church is, in content, a company of baptized gospel believers belonging to a certain place who profess faith in Jesus and His atoning work for their salvation from sin. So he gives a much clearer definition of who the church is. Baptized believers in a certain place, who profess faith in Jesus for salvation. So it's a cl- it's clear. I mean, it's it doesn't include just everybody. It definitely leaves some people out. Now, if you're not baptized, if you're not in this place, if you don't profess faith in Jesus uh, and His work for salvation, so it it definitely gives a clear group of people who belong to the church. In organization. So he would say that a local Christian church is a group of people who are in agreement, 
in doctrine, policy, and practice, and organized with New Testament church officers, pastors, and deacons. This is something I'm pretty sure hasn't been mentioned, but who are in agreement in doctrine, policy, and practice. That covers a lot of stuff <laughs> and opens another door to ask different questions and to limit uh, the church in different ways. And that he would give the church the freedom to do this, uh, which... Do we have to agree 100% on every doctrine? Because I know there, there are doctrines that there is disagreement upon, and that is one of the reasons why we have different churches and different denominations. Churches come down in a different place on one doctrine and another one, and they can't agree, so they, uh, they form different denominations, different churches. Well, is 100% agreement the standard? <laughs> and... For every doctrine, because I would, I would say that there is a hierarchy of doctrines. You know, some are crystal clear when you come to the gospel and salvation. I think that's a more important and clearer than some other doctrines. An example would be end times. There are things in the end times which are not as clear. So, do we have to agree on everything to do with? end times to be part of the same church. But when that's not really clarified here, it's, it just says agreement in doctrine. So you could take that as, well, yes, you have to be 100% in everything. Well, I don't know. Not sure how we could ever have a church full of people who agreed 100% in every doctrine, everything that the, the Bible teaches. In policy, uh, policy and practice. So then the question becomes, well, who makes the policy and who defines the practice? <clears throat> and that is one of the questions that I want to get to is to think about this policy and practice in the church. How do we determine that? What is, uh, what is necessary? What needs to develop over time? <clears throat> Uh, what is it that we are in agreement with? And <laughs> where does that come from? Because I, I just see a lot of our policy and practice in, the, in a lot of churches that would say, well, it's not that it's not biblical. It's that the, the Bible doesn't address this at all, but we have a policy about it and we have a certain practice. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but... Where do we draw the line and say, okay, this is a church we can fellowship with? Or we're okay starting a church that might not have the policy and practice that we do? Can we only work on starting a church that looks identical to us in policy and practice? Because a lot of the that policy and practice develop over time according to the needs of that congregation, that group of people. What if a new group of people needs different policy and different practice? Are we okay with that? <laughs> Those are all questions that I have. And then he mentions organized with New Testament officers, pastors, and deacons. In practice, so he gives some of the practice, and I don't know that this is everything, and this is, again, have to read more of the this theology book to see how much of this is clarified. 
But this is a group of believers who gather and are in agreement and in practice who, recognizing the Lord's presence, assemble regularly to worship God, participate in the Lord's Supper, fellowship together in the study of God's Word and in prayer, teach new converts, exercise their spiritual gifts for the edification of one another, do good works, and exercise corrective discipline when this is needed. So this is the practice that he felt necessary to uh, delineate. Assemble regularly, participate in the Lord's Supper, fellowship together in the study of God's Word and prayer, teach new convict, converts, not convicts, <laughs> exercise their spiritual gifts for the edification of one another, do good works, and exercise corrective discipline when this is needed. Yeah, it's interesting looking at those. I, definitely there are a lot of good things in there. It seems to me it's, it's going to be difficult once you begin lining out some practices. Why it, It's not that any of these don't need to be included. It's where do you stop? <laughs> Because you could have listed other things, but why do you only list these? Um, and that would be a, a question. But we'll move on. In number four, in mission. So he's he has these different sections, and this is very much like a, a doctrinal textbook. So a local Christian church, then it has content, organization, practice, and in mission who bear witness to the gospel at home and abroad. So here we have that joined with the mission of Christ. Uh, We're commanded to be his witnesses or told that we will be his witnesses in multiple places. For me, for this being a, a textbook that Bible colleges are using, uh, to me, it's a glaring error or a glaring omission that it doesn't mention uh, discipleship or disciple making. I mean, those those are that's the biblical word to make disciples of all nations is uh, the Matthew twenty eight eighteen nineteen twenty. That's that's part of Jesus' last command, and it is bear witness. But that's part of that process as we share the gospel and help people develop into the image of Christ. And you could say it's included in, under practice, he says, teach new believers and use your spiritual gifts for the edification, the building up of one another. That's true. I I don't disagree with that. I just wonder why we couldn't use the term (laughs) to, to be disciple makers. Because it includes more than that. It's not that it's less than these two things. It's more than that. And I think I would want to put that under the mission, who bear witness. Um, I'm okay with that. But uh, to be obedient to Jesus' command to, to be disciple makers, uh, I think that's important. The fifth one is in expectation. And now this was a new one, too. He would say that the church is this group of baptized believers who are gathering and who are looking for the imminent return of Jesus and their translation to heaven. 
automatically you can recognize that this book, this author comes from a certain uh, theological perspective. He's looking for the imminent return of Jesus. Uh, some people would say there are still things to go, so he's not uh, not allowing them in. <laughs> but I would agree with him. We are looking for the imminent return of Jesus, so I don't have a problem with that. But the church has that expectation. We are, we're not now focused. This is a good point that the church is not here and now focused. It is focused on Jesus, and it is uh, our hope is in His return. So there's a lot of stuff in this definition. But again, as he's looking at the church, he does give practices, which a lot of the definitions don't really go very deep into practice. They just say work, worship, um, ordinances, um, mission. And then he goes into a little more detail about things that he believes would be important. And as we look at those practices, this is where Ultimately, the rubber is going to meet the road when we think about the uh, uh, what the church does together. So we're meeting together. We're going to worship. So there's no statement of what that looks like. And I think there is a lot of freedom in that. Participating in the Lord's Supper. Fellowship together in the study of God's Word and prayer. It's interesting that he combines that fellowship because a lot of a lot of definitions would talk about fellowship. And then this is fellowship in the study of God's Word and prayer not other fellowship. Um, and I I agree that this is one kind of fellowship, but we probably need the other two. Teach new converts, exercise spiritual gifts. What does that look like? Um, you know, one of the things that I, I feel like is missing in a lot of places, a lot of a lot of gatherings, is that there's not this overt expectation and Preparation for for believers to use their spiritual gifts for the building up of the church. So edification is building up. So building up one another. I was probably in college, maybe even seminary, before I really was involved in a very deep discussion about spiritual gifts particularly thinking about what are your spiritual gifts? How do you know what your spiritual gifts are? I think that that's a conversation that should be much more common than it has been in my experience. And I don't claim that my experience is normal and that everyone has had my experience. But in mine, that was a conversation that did not happen until, you know, I was in my 20s. I, I wasn't thinking about or even maybe knowledgeable of spiritual gifts. And I suppose, I mean, there's, there's no way that I didn't hear or read the passage about spiritual gifts when I was in high school at the, at the latest, but it wasn't personalized. I didn't connect that. I didn't connect the spiritual gifts to me personally. I didn't connect me having spiritual gifts to any kind of building up of the church. And that wasn't the way that I understood things or, or was practicing things. So that's an important conversation. How, how do we do that? And I, th- I think when we think about the essential church, 
and we can say the church should do these things, I mean, we have to have in our DNA of the church that we're, we're actually trying to do these things. Practically, we, we need to help people to do these things. That, that's why we're here. And <clears throat> I, I'm afraid that sometimes our programs begin to exist for the program. And I've heard conversations about things like uh, the next material for this program. Okay, we have a, whether it's a men's Bible study or a, a children's um, Sunday school class or just the Sunday school curriculum in general, what's the next thing that we're going to study? And it seems sometimes the discussion deteriorates down into we need something for the program. It's not how do we fulfill our purpose? What do our people need to grow in Christ's likeness? It seems to come at it from a, a different angle. And I know the the heart's still there, and I, I really believe that. But the discussion seems to start in the wrong place and maybe not get to the place it needs to be because it's distracted by the the needs of the program. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. It's just me. Next source I want to look at, Principles and Practices for Baptist Churches by Edward T. Hiscox. I've never heard of, but I saw this book on the pastor's shelf, and I, I didn't really see a good definition in there, but he had something to say as I was flipping through his section on the church that I thought was worth pointing out at this point. He said, All the various Christian communities, both ancient and modern, have in their dogmatic symbols more or less fully given their conception of a true church. These definitions are found in their standard creeds and confessions of faith, and it is to be observed that they all assume to start with the New Testament idea, but as they proceed, they do more and more diverge and complicate the primitive simplicity with their ecclesiastical surroundings, their educational prepossessions, or with what trusted authority decides a church ought to be rather than what it is. I thought this was really good. Particularly, he goes on and he gives a lot of those creeds and confessions of faith and their section on the church. So that's kind of how he approaches this idea of defining. He said all these different groups have given definitions, which they do start with the New Testament idea. And then the creed may be simple and short, but then the church tends toward complication and obscurity. It's just getting more and more complicated and obtuse as things go on. And then they diverge. You know, the the different groups, you have strong leaders who have writings about the church, and that helps churches make different decisions about how they're going to do what they do or what they're going to focus on. And that does over time, It, I like to put that, it complicates the primitive simplicity the New Testament church throughout the church either was simple and we have a full explanation of it, or maybe it was more complicated, more complex, more organized than than the Scripture tells us. But God chose not to reveal that to us because that was not to be our guide. We have a, a simple view of the church if we look strictly at the New Testament. But we, you have to do things. So organization is going to be assumed. We are going to organize to some degree. 
How do we do that? What does that look like? Uh, it varies depending on where you're coming from and what your purpose is. And I think that's one reason I want to ask these questions. If our goal is to reproduce churches, to start new churches, I don't think we can start with all of our hopes and dreams of what the church could be in this area, but we have to start with something smaller. That's my theory anyway. I looked at a site called realfaith.com, and they had the different characteristics of the church. And this one, I wanted to go through it real quick because they basically look through the definition of the church as summarized from Acts chapter 2. And he said, you can identify eight key characteristics of a local church. And this is what a lot of the churches are going back to when they try to define what is a church. So number one, the church is made up of regenerated believers. So of, of genuine uh, new people, new in the spirit. Uh, the spirit has dwells in them, gives them new hearts. So the church is a fellowship of true disciples who were devoted to the devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and to attending meetings together and fellowshipping in their homes with glad and generous hearts. Okay, there you go. I mean, that that is just straight up what Acts tells us. This is what the church did. These new believers who were genuinely devoted to what Jesus had to say as they learned it from the apostles and to this fellowship together. Oh, that's really good. Number two, the church is organized under qualified and competent leadership. Now, in Acts, we see that being the apostles. They led the congregation, congregation making wise decisions. Think about potentially divisive problems like uh, when the first deacons were appointed is because widows were not being fed. So things like that. Uh, you see different other... Um, they sent Peter and... Uh, to Samaria to confirm the authenticity of the evangelistic outbreak there. We see the appointment of different leaders in Acts 14. So different things where they helped the church work through issues with different groups of people. The church regularly gathers to hear God's word rightly preached and to respond in worship. So under this... uh, in this period of Acts, it says they eagerly devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, not because they had to, but because they wanted to. They received the Holy Spirit. They had seen what God was doing through the miracles. They'd witnessed this revival that was just history changing. And they chose to increase their knowledge of and understanding of Scripture by pursuing not just information, but transformation in all their life. So the church studied scripture, shows submission to the authority of God's word. Number four, the church is where the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion are performed regularly as visible signs of the gospel in the life of the church. And we see that in, in Acts as people were baptized as they got saved and as they partook of uh, the Lord's Supper together. Number five, the church is unified by the confession and shared life of Christ through the Holy Spirit. The unified life of the Trinity itself is manifested among God's people who live in loving unity together as the church. He goes on and says this unity is in several several concrete aspects. And this maybe is harder to see in all of, uh, of Acts, but I, I'm going to, for the sake of time today, give you his headings, and we're not going to go into the details. But theological unity, relational 
unity. Doesn't mean everyone likes each other, but it doesn't mean people love one another and demonstrate it by being cordial, respectful, friendly. Philosophical unity characterizes ministry methods and style. So these are like house rules or ministry philosophy, how the church does things. So many different ways that a church can do things, but the primary cultural style in a church has to be some kind of unity there. Missional unity concerns the objective of the church. Ultimately, the goal of everyone in the church must be to uh, glorify God and all they say and do, but also to, to be those disciple makers. Organizational unity is based on how things are done in the church. So in that modern life, that would be job descriptions, performance reviews, financial policies, and all that, so that the church can be a good steward of the resources that God has entrusted to it. So again, he talks about the different kinds of unity a little bit, but the big idea was the church is unified in Christ. Number six, the church pursues holiness, starting with spirit-empowered self-discipline, where people grow to be more like Jesus. The heart of self-discipline is discipleship. Leaders use scripture to teach, correct, train, and equip Christians to be a holy people who continually grow in Christ's likeness. When believers sin, they're supposed to confess and repent, and others are to lovingly and humbly walk with them to help them grow in grace. There you go. A discipleship, pursuing Christ-likeness individually, personally, and then the people who are the leaders of the church, their job is to help Christians continually grow in Christ-likeness, to equip them to be this peculiar people. Number seven, the church obeys the great commandment to love one another. The church is supposed to be a spirit-empowered, loving community that devotes itself to fellowship. And you see that, boy, in the early church. Number eight, the last one, the church obeys the great commission to evangelize and make disciples. The church is an evangelistic community where the gospel of Jesus is constantly made visible through its proclamation of the gospel, the witness of the members' lives, and its spirit-empowered life of love. Again, you see this in the early church. I, all those are really good. I like the um, focus on disciple-making in there. Some food for thought as we kind of wrap up for the day. It's a book called Future Church by Will Mancini and Corey Hartman. And they asked the question, if there were many disciple-making disciples in this community and no publicly visible church, why would we create one? What would it do? That's a good question, and it's along the lines of, of what I'm trying to think through. The church, this gathering, exists for a, a, a reason, a purpose. And individual disciples, making individual disciples, they're carrying out the work of the church. But the gathering, uh, this publicly visible gathering, why would we do that if we didn't have one? What, what exactly do we do in that gathering? How do we um, have that gathering function in a way that allows us to fulfill the purpose of the church better? That's the question we're asking. We're going to keep asking it next week. So thanks for joining me. What's your understanding of the church? How much of your understanding is determined by your local context more than scripture? That's really a tough one. <laughs> I'd love to hear more from you. You can write me at norman at runwithhorses.net or you can leave a comment on the Run With Horses podcast Facebook page. Really what I'd like to challenge all of us to do is to take some time today and pause and thank God for His work in our heart and life. Thank God for the church and keep running.